1: For boosted parlays to live in game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W H N N BET.com to start winning.
2: Blue Liar. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants Football Podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co host, Nick Filato. Tonight, we're here to recap a Giants win. That's right, the Giants won another game. After that Bucks loss last week, it kind of felt like maybe this team was destined for a loss against the Eagles. They were underdogs. The line moved from three all the way to four and a half. The Giants are four and a half point home dogs. But on the day they retired, Michael Strahan's number, Meg Stran, arguably my second favorite New York Giant of all time. No offense to O.C. for because he did jump on our show, but Michael Strahan's the GOAT, and he was, I mean, as far as defensive player goes, nobody will replace Eli for me. But on the day they retired his jersey, they got him a win against our bitter rivals, the team the Giants, I believe since, I think Art Stapleton tweeted this, since 2012, the Giants had only won two games against the uh, Eagles prior to, the, to this one. One of them with Joe Judge last year. Now that's two in a row against this team that we hate, the Philadelphia Eagles team that was pretty hot coming into this game, albeit they did blow out two pretty bad teams. Obviously, the Saints are on the downward trend, but a win is a win. The Giants defense played out of their minds today. Four turnovers, four freaking turnovers in this game. Unbelievable. Two in the red zone taking Eagles points off the board.
1: Nick, how do you feel after this New York Giants victory? I don't feel good about the offense, which I mean, the Giants scored 13 points. And as you said, they had four turnovers. They didn't score any points off any of those turnovers. And some of that is circumstantial because one of the turnovers was an interception to end the first half, which is excellent. I mean, because how many times earlier in the season were we complaining about the fact that this defense just kept breaking at that part of the game. And here, Tay Crowder really just benefited from the fact that Jalen Hurts was reckless with the football there. I'm not really 100% certain what Hurts was trying to do. If he was trying to throw it away, if he was trying to squeeze it in, that was just a really bad decision. And I think we mentioned, yeah, just terrible, man. And I think we mentioned it on the podcast, and I know I brought it up on Big Blue View as well in various spots. The way the Giants were going to defeat the Philadelphia Eagles was to force Jalen Hurts to throw the football. Well, They didn't necessarily force him to throw the football, but Nick Sirianni was like, you know what? I'm going to make this a little bit easier. And it seemed like the opening script and a lot of the earlier plays was more of a pass-centric type of offense. And then once we saw the Eagles get back to their running game is when we saw them start having success with their zone read game. But it seemed like it was maybe a little bit too late at that time. So I don't really know what Nick Sirianni was doing there because at the end of the day, they still rushed for over 200 yards on the Giants. I mean,
2: in a lot of ways, like, let's let's be fair about this thing. I'm super excited the Giants won just because it was the Eagles that <laughs> wanted to disrail this Eagles yeah, team. Yeah. And I'll be honest, like, yes, like, long-term, like, I am the biggest, not the biggest, but I am on team, like, sometimes these wins aren't as meaningful as they seem in the moment. But when it's a division rival like the Eagles, dreaded, uh, he- trending toward where they were going with these last couple wins, which was towards the playoffs, it's good to knock them out, especially when like right now looking at that seven seed, it's the Minnesota Vikings standing at five and six, potentially having to miss Dalvin with Dalvin cook, potentially having to miss time, their defense problems with the defensive ends like that team at five and six in the seven spot seems pretty fluid. And the giants are four and seven with, which we'll go over in a bit, a pretty damn easy schedule moving forward. So like at this point, I feel even after that, like as rock bottom as it felt after that bucks loss last Monday, I do feel like after turning this thing around on a short week with Strahan in the building, retiring his number, having a defensive performance like this trending uh, where this defense is at right now at this moment. And we're going to go over that too on the show. We'll go over the schedule coming up and their chance of the wild card. We'll also go over kind of where this defense is at over their last month, month or so. It does feel like that to me, at least that seventh wild card spot is up for grabs and the giants could get there. And then, you know what, honestly, I don't really feel like this team gave me any kind of confidence that they're going to make any kind of run at this moment that could change. Things could maybe get better on offense, but as of right now, you can't make runs with an offense like this, but getting Daniel Jones, that playoff game experience is going to be good regardless if they can grind, if they can kind of fight into that seven spot. So like I did feel good about that. Um, so with all that said, and it's a great win. It does. I mean, you being objectively looking at this, Nick, it does kind of feel in some ways like the Eagles beat themselves in this game. They had four turnovers to the Giants. None. That's kind of what we've seen the Giants do at times, like last week against the Bucks with the turnovers and at times in the past throughout Jones' career with the turnovers. But in this game, the Eagles, to me, it felt like if the Eagles had come out with a game plan to just run at the Giants all game and really limit hurts from a throwing standpoint. They might have grinded out a win here because the Giants don't win this game without four turnovers, in my opinion. I don't even think they come close to winning this
1: game without the turnover.
2: If turnovers zero zero, the Giants lose this game in my mind. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not even just the turnovers, Dan. And I'm sure you might have touched on this in a little bit. But it was just the mistakes the Eagles were making and the yeah. close calls as well. I mean, Avante Maddox just missing, getting an interception, Jalen Rager dropping at least three passes, two of them oh. being touchdowns. You had a, another big drop pass from Greg Ward that would have been a touchdown. That, you know, the two plays later, Kay Crowder came away with an interception. There were a lot of, you know, and you know, ifs and all those kind of words. Yes, it didn't end up happening, but I feel like you have to take it into context if you want to holistically look at the New York Giants right now. Yeah, the Eagles beat themselves today.
2: Let's be fair about the situation. The Giants Stevens played great. They made some key turnovers when it mattered. And they made some key stops, more importantly, when it mattered. Third down stops. You know, big stops. But... In a lot of ways, this Eagles team beat themselves. It was a horrific interception by Hertz at the half that took off a minimum of three points off the board. It was honestly some pretty bad drops, like you said, by Jalen Rager, like really bad drops. And not just Rager, there was the one just before the interception that you mentioned as well. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot of really bad big mistakes by the Eagles in this game, the fumble by Boston's got, I mean, at that point in the game, the Eagles are going to be setting up for a first and 10 at the 40 with a full two minutes left with some, I think they had some timeouts at the time. They had plenty of time at that point of time. If they just get, you know, if, boston scott just doesn't fumble that football and great play by the giants to knock it out great play by the giants on all of these the interceptions i mean some were more hurts making a mistake i think than others like obviously the take Crowder interception is a different look than the mckinney interception for example but you know what in a lot of ways the giants capitalize on the other team's mistakes and i feel like we've been saying the opposite for the giants throughout the last two years so it, you know what it is good to get a win like this. It's not. It's not pretty. There's uh, the Giants aren't winning any awards for a win like this, but it's the kind of win that gets them to four and seven, drops the Eagles to five and seven, and gives them a chance. Like you know, if they if they do end up beating the Eagles again in in Philadelphia in their coming up game, well, now they may you know they're in a different spot than they might have been against the team that is going to be fighting ultimately for that same seven seed. Like there's going to be a slew of these teams right now fighting for that seven seed.
1: Yes, and the Giants are one of them, which is just insane, as you said, and makes you, it makes me angry looking back uh, earlier in the season at the Atlanta game and the Washington game. And I feel like we bring this up often, so I don't want to beat the dead horse, but the season could look so much different if the Giants even steal one of those games and they ended up losing both of them. And yet here we are, more, well, more than halfway through the NFL season, and the Giants are still being considered a possible playoff contender or they are a playoff contender and that's just the state of the nfc and the fact that the nfl expanded the playoff system to seven teams rather than six
2: yeah, exactly. It's less so, you know, kudos to the Giants more so <laughs> just the situation right now, but we'll take it. I mean, like I said, it would be good, especially if we're still in the camp that Jones can be the guy, it would be good to see him get playoff experience. It doesn't matter if this team has any hopes in reality. I mean, I, as of right now, I still think they do have some pieces on offense offense to, to put up better performances than they've put up since that Saints game. But it hasn't come to fruition yet. And, you know, as we go week by week by week and we get performances like this one on offense, it's a large sample size of, and it's harder to feel like this offense will come together. But regardless, it'll be good to get him that experience, especially if you can get him in a situation where, you know, regardless of how it happens, it might be a game like this one where it's 13-7, but if you can get him in a situation where you give Jones that chance to make that game-winning drive at the end, that's still what we need to see from Jones in my mind, those moments. It's still something we saw early on from Eli Manning, kind of that it factor. And it's funny, I, was, had, I just had a great Thanksgiving with my family. All of them are huge Giants fans. Shout out Uncle Steve, if you're listening to this one. And, and, he, and we were talking about it, and he's like, you know, I know it's, it goes against my nature, all the logic in the world, but I do believe in the it factor, at quarterback, he said. And, I, and I, I hate to say it, but I agree with him. I weirdly do believe in the it factor as well. Like Eli Manning had the it factor. He played some of his best football, arguably played his overall his best football when it mattered most. I mean, even if you look at the game film and I talk about this a lot because I did go back and watch it. I think I watched it last off season, not this past one, but I watched the film of that Packers playoff game, Manning's last playoff game in 2016. Eli was cooking that game, man. His ball placement in that game was phenomenal, and they had no offensive line, and he'd suffered from just some brutal drops from Shepard and Beckham, just like brutal, killer drops that just destroy a quarterback and and shake him to its core. And then obviously the second half wasn't as good for Eli in that game because the ninth fell behind and the offensive line was trash, but he rose to the occasion in big spots, and I still want to see that from Jones. So, you know, even if they can – just get the seventeenth, and it doesn't look pretty. And and you know, it's a couple more wins like this one. We'll go over why it's possible in a little bit because this schedule is really easy the rest of the way. It's straight up, just super easy the rest of the way. Looking as it break down, and you know, let's let's get we can get into that in a bit because we can start to talk about you know things past this game. But let's talk first about all the things in this game. So first thing and most important thing I want to get your take on Nick was how do you feel like the Giants' offense looked in its first game with Freddie Kitchens instead of Jason Garrett?
1: We shouldn't have expected, and and I I never expected, and I know a lot of people didn't, a, a new, totally different offense because you're still working within the framework of what Jason Garrett had installed and all the kind of plays and the terminology that Jason Garrett has. You're not going to bring in on a short week a new offense under Freddie Kitchens. With that said, we did see Freddie Kitchens, you know, and I felt like Jason Garrett did this too, but probably not consistent enough pass on first down and and do things like that with stuff stuff that we've talked about on this podcast, not be as predictable with your play calling. I think the, the flea flicker tight end screen was a nice little wrinkle because we've seen flea flickers in the past from Jason Garrett and we've seen tight end screens, but now let's combine them. And that went for 20 yards to help set up a field goal. And you also got Evan Ingram, one of your more dynamic playmakers into space with plenty of blockers. That was a really well-designed play. And I also love the fact that they said, Kenny Galladay, we signed you to a $72 million deal. We gave you over $40 million guaranteed. When we're in the red zone, we're going to target you. And I'm not a big fan of fade balls. But hey, you have a, what, five, six-inch advantage over some of these cornerbacks? Target them. And you know what? The first one was excellent coverage by Darius Light. The second one was good coverage as well. But I thought Daniel Jones probably should have put the ball a little bit more inside. But I like the concerted effort that Freddie Kitchens had to get Kenny Galladay going, because it's something that the Giants need to do. It's something that they have to do, especially when there's no Sterling Shepard, especially when there's no Kadarius Toney. Against the Buccaneers, that was inexcusable to have Kenny Galladay targeted twice. Like, what the heck is going on there? So I also liked uh, to see that. But overall, you still only put up 13 points, and I know Freddie Kitchens would be the first person to say that is unacceptable.
2: Yeah, for me, um, the Freddie Kitchens experiment game one I really liked what I saw at first. I mean, the beginning of this game, kitchen's through the ball. And I think the first six or seven first down plays and, you know, I'll I'll go to my grave saying you're a bad team. If you run the ball on first down, if you have a bad running team and the giants are a horrific running offense, they can't block and they have a running back who is not very nuanced when it comes to picking the right holes and setting up blocks. And, maximizing his yardage in my mind. He's a home run hitting rack. Like we saw today, he had one home run and it didn't even go for the distance, but it was a solid home run. But, you know, regardless of that, it's a horrific blocking line. You know, this we're at week 12 now, there's no changing that. When you're a team that can't run, Buck, you should almost never be running the ball on first down. In my mind, you should rarely be running the first ball on first down anyway. You're a bet. It's not a good down to run the football on. Second down's a much better down. And obviously, when I say that, I don't mean second and long. If you ran the ball on first and got zero yards or if you threw an incomplete pass on first. Second and short or second and medium, that's when you can run the ball. Third and short, that's when I like running the ball. First and 10 not a great rundown. And early on, he did that. And then it was weird, Nick, because as the game went on and the Giants were in contention, because in the beginning, you know, it's like, oh, it's an early game. Giants don't have a lead. We can throw the ball. As the game went on, and the Giants were in contention, and you start to get to the whole grinded out nature of the Joe Judge error. We're kicking, you know, we're trying field goal attempts on fourth and three from the fifty-one. We're making, we're punting in, in, in opponent territory. All the Joe Judgeisms. Well, then it got to the point where I felt like Kitchen started running the ball a lot on first down. And in general, I felt like his play calling was completely different from those that first uh drive where they drove down for the field goal versus every other drive in the game for the Giants until the end. That one drive at the end where they got Galladay going with two straight uh chunk yard play uh chunk plays. So to me, I thought the beginning of it was good, and then I was a little shocked that it kind of changed. And I and I I'll be honest with you, Nick. I don't have any insight into this, but I do feel like This is not the game Kitchens would call if Joe Judge wasn't the head coach. I'll just say it out loud because it's kind of how I feel. I think part of this is Judge. I think part of this is what they want to be. They don't want to be an offense that turns the ball over in a game like this. And I totally get that. Turnovers would have hurt the Giants. You have a quarterback who literally leads the NFL in turnovers since 2019. No other quarterback has more. And so I totally get it. But you can't score points if you're not... If you're playing that style and it was the problem with the Jason Garrett era, and we all said, Oh, it's Garrett, but it, it was, it almost feels to me like it's Garrett and judge because this game plan to me, wasn't really great after their first drive on offense. And it didn't really show me much from a sense of, I feel confident in maximizing points. And yeah, there's all the excuses. There's the offensive line. There's the injuries at receiver, but you have guys on the field, you have Thomas playing well. And to me, the offensive line didn't look all that awful with the exception of solder today. And so i will have to see the tape to really confirm that or deny that, but it certainly didn't feel like the bucks game where almost every play Daniel Jones was under duress. And so I don't know, man, I just felt like it got super conservative, the game plan on offense after that first drive where they were throwing on every first down.
1: Yeah. They like to run the football in the second half on first down. I mean, the first, drive they did not they threw a pass to saquon barkley though but it didn't do anything and might have been a check down that was to start the 10 play 59 yard drive that was capped off by the chris myrick touchdown which was just should have been the most simple touchdown you would ever see in your life dan and he made it look hey, incredibly it is difficult. but this kid's from charlin pennsylvania little vicky's from there i just other than that man it was the uh darius slayton end around which lost like 13 yards just totally blew up that entire drive and then it was saquon barkley up the middle One yard. Then it was Daniel Jones uh kept it himself four yards that ended up in a field goal in the next three and out, which was the last drive by the New York Giants, was Saquon Barkley left guard for one yard. It seemed like that was the the unfortunate result of almost every one of those first and ten runs by Saquon Barkley, which is one yard or no gain. And you're right, man. I want to see a little bit more aggressiveness, and this could be a product of Joe Judge, it could be a product of all the turnovers from Daniel Jones. And I think Daniel Jones factors into this as well. And I think that's where it's an interesting, I don't want to say debate, but an interesting, I guess, interesting thing to think about. If the Giants don't fully trust Daniel Jones, what do you do in that situation? Do you want to consistently put him in a position to to throw on first and 10? And if there is no there is no conversion there, then you're in second and 10, and then you're putting more weight, and you're just kind of weighing Daniel Jones down and weighing him down and weighing him down. But I think the argument, as you alluded to earlier, goes to the fact that you're not running the football effectively anyway on first down. So you might as well give the kid a shot on first and ten to gain five yards to set up a second and manageable and possibly take a deep shot or possibly, you know, just keep moving the chains depending on whichever course of action you want to take. Do you know what I'm saying there?
2: No, I know exactly what you're saying. It's not an easy spot for a coordinator, but you know, one thing, and and I'm not
1: saying just saying a coordinator, because I do
2: think this is partially Joe judges, doing i'm just gonna it's too at this point there's too much out there that 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 shows me that or leads me in that direction and the thing we do know you have to just go with the stuff you know what we know right now is that this offense cannot run block they don't have the guys in there to run block this is not like last year where they came together around this time and started run blocking well and i don't know if that's because gallman was the back and not barkley i don't think that's the case i think they just kind of came together and they were blocking really well in the run game they were playing with continuity that's not the case right now at all. And it was never going to be the case against a tough Eagles defensive front. Today, the Giants average 2.7 yards per rush. No, sorry, 2.6 yards per rush attempt, 27 attempts, 70 yards. And 32 of those came on one play. So you take out the one play there and you're looking at what? I'm so bad at math that I'm struggling with this, but it's 26 carries for 38 yards. That's what the Giants generated in this game. And this is not some kind of surprise. It shouldn't be some kind of surprise. And so if that's the case, yeah, you don't want to put your, your quarterback in a position to, to turn the ball over. But you have to at some point take the training wheels off and figure out ways to generate Yards in the pass game because it's so much easier to get five, six, seven, eight in the pass game than it is in the run game right now for the New York Giants. That's not true for every team. You know, if you're talking about the Ravens or you're talking about the Cowboys or teams that can block well in the run game and pick up consistent yards in the run game on early downs, it's fine for those teams to run the football. It's not really fine right now for the Giants to run the football if they want to score points.
1: A couple of variables that I wanted to mention there as well. The one thing that we should factor in is Darius Slayton did have a minus 13 yard rush that is factored in there. But what I feel like is even more telling is that 32 yard run by Saquon Barkley, Dan, he finished the game with 40 yards on 13 carries and he had a 32 yard run. Yeah. Like that is what the heck, man. That is like almost Saquon Barkley against the New York jets in 2019 type of stuff. Are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Michigan, Tennessee, and Virginia. The excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the NFL, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game-offs on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet and download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 years or older and present in a state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: Yeah, it was like that. And the, the Eagles front just absolutely dominated the point of attack. This should not be a surprise to anyone who has followed this team this year. The Giants, as far as the run blocking goes, it's not, you know, like I said, they, they found a little groove last year in the run game. They were, they were, you know, with the, with the G lead with the, with, the, with the power plays, they found some, some success against the Seahawks. Like people talk about that game, like, oh, that was the best defensive performance in Patrick Graham era. I actually think this one was because at least in that game, they had the run game going. They went for over a hundred and Gallman broke off some big plays in this game. There was in my mind, essentially no offense by the giants, like a few plays to Kenny Galladay that were nice. One run play by Barkley, a nicely scripted second drive. That was probably partly scripted this week with, with, like you said, a really nice call. The, um, the, the, the flea thicker screen. That was a huge chunk of the yards. And outside of that, they really just didn't move the ball whatsoever. Really in this game, they had a couple more plays that were positive gains. And so, this, to me, was even more impressive by the defense because the offense did almost absolutely nothing for them to help them in this game. Um, but, you know, for me, man, it's just like I, at this point, I'm hoping that we see more from the I, I expected a lot more from the offense today with Freddie Gage. I know it's not easy for him because he still has to operate out a Garrett system. But I did think he called an overall better game last year against the Browns in his one game than he did today. And that's not exactly how I thought it was going to be after that drive, that first drive where they threw the ball on five straight first downs. I thought it was going to be like, this is what I, you know, this is, it looked great to me in that first drive. They had the second drive because obviously they went three and out the first drive of the game, the giants, but that second and drive of the game where they went 11 plays 47 yards and kicked the field goal. Obviously not perfect, but it just felt to me a lot better. It felt like, okay. Yep, Freddie Kitchen's going to help us unlock this offense a little bit. Like we don't, I don't, so my whole thing, Nick, is that I don't feel like the Giants have to be this putrid on offense. I know there's a million excuses in the world, the offensive line, the blah, 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 the injuries, all the crap that we hear. But to me, it doesn't all add up to the most pathetic offense in like basically like we've ever seen, which is kind of what it's felt, what it's felt like for like five weeks now or really the whole season. And two seasons in a row. I mean, they haven't scored 30 points yet in the Joe Judge era. That's not that shouldn't be a benchmark. That should be something they can easily get to. And so to me, I just don't feel like it's like as warranted. And so to me, it just kind of feels like, I don't know. I thought Freddy Kitchens could unlock this offense a bit. I still feel like this off to me, man, I just still feel like this offense can be unlocked a little bit more. I guess that's the best way to describe where I'm at right now.
1: I don't disagree with you, and I'm playing Devil's advocate with this, but how much of Joe Judge's conservatism do you think is linked to his trust in Daniel Jones?
2: And I think that and that's a great question, Nick. And we have to start seriously not only asking that question, considering that question and bringing it into all of our conversations about this team because that's what I was going to go to next, man. Like, you know, can this offense be unlocked? That's a question. I think it can be more unlocked. But if it can't be, is that on the quarterback? I mean, the answer is yes. Like, Straight up when you don't generate a passing game for this long period of time, it's not just it's it's really not just coaching an offensive line play like it's just unfair and it's just very it's a def- to me it's a defeatist attitude when when people just fully blame it on that and just exonerate the quarterback well we can't get a good read on him because this and this and this well no I mean listen. He could have put that ball in a different spot for Kenny Galladay to catch that fade. In my mind, that ball could be on his outside shoulder for Galladay to make a sick 50 50 catch that we've seen him make his entire career with the Lions. And when we watched that tape, man, how excited were we about Galladay? When we watched that tape, I felt like we were getting a blue chip guy with Galladay. He looked like a blue chipper in Detroit. And you know what? He never had in Detroit. He never had an offensive line. Their offensive line is now pretty solid in Detroit because they've been building it. But, With the exception of last year when it started to come together, it was a really bad offensive line for Galladay's entire career. And yet he managed to be a big-time offensive player. They managed to generate a passing game through Galladay without having an offensive line. So what's our excuse? Like, what is our excuse for—I know he was more involved today, but the final stat lines: three catches for 50 yards and no touchdowns again for a guy who we feel like is a blue-chip receiver. And so, what's our excuse if the Lions are able to do it without an offensive line? I just don't. I'm running out of, you know. And let's get to that point now. How do you did you think Daniel Jones looked today?
1: I'm actually excited to get into the the filming. What I saw from Daniel Jones, I saw a couple of plays where the ball placement wasn't all that great, but I also saw. Pretty good navigation of the pocket. There were times where I felt like the pass rush was kind of closing in and restricting space, and he just stepped up, kept his eyes downfield, and delivered a pass to either Kenny Galladay or John Ross, a couple to Darius Slayton. But all in all, I, I still think there are plays that are being left out there, but I don't want to really assign my name to that quite yet because I don't exactly know what's going on on the back end because it's the broadcast angle. So Once we get to the All-22, I'm sure we'll talk about this uh, extensively on the All-22 podcast, please tune into all of those. But overall, I would say it's not great. You scored 13 points. And I understand all the excuses. We bring them up all the time. I think there's a lot of merit to those excuses. But there does come a time where talent rises above the mediocre surroundings of your offensive line and whatnot. And now that Jason Garrett isn't there, there's is only a one game sample size. I- I'm not going to sit here and say, oh yeah, well, he can't get it done here either. But one game sample size, you still only scored 13 points despite the fact that your defense came up huge for you. So I think it's something you have to keep in the back of your mind. And I'm excited to see the all 22 to really give a more in-depth analysis of, of what we actually saw there.
2: Yeah, and we actually have a very similar read from the broadcast angle. I thought Jones showed massive improvement today as far as navigating the pocket. I thought he did an excellent job stepping up, something that has become a big problem for him in recent weeks. Uh, Tampa Bay game was a great example of it at Kansas City game as well, where when he felt even a lick of pressure, he was escaping to his right laterally. And Daniel Jones, one thing he can't do well in my mind, and and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll I'll take up anyone on this is he's not a great thrower on the run. He can, he's a great runner on the run. Like he is actually a pretty good athlete as far as running with the football. But when he's rolling to his right, or when he's throwing on the run, his accuracy wanes. And so you don't really want to get him in a position where he's escaping the pocket early because of pressure. You want to see what he's, what we saw today, which was him stepping up through the pocket and stepping up in the face of pressure and finding the spot to reset the pocket and then make the throw. So I thought that was great. I thought, though, I didn't I thought it was subpar ball placement from him today throughout the game. And obviously, no big plays in the passing game again. No, no. Really, just at some point when you don't generate a passing game for this long, the quarterback has to be held accountable in some ways. I mean, we're talking about a team that hasn't even generated a functional passing game since week four at this point, like some people DMing me today they're I guess, or one person was replying like this is functional today. I mean, are we getting to the point where we're considering this a functional passing game, 194 passing yards? I mean, finally they rose above the 4.5 yards per attempt mark, which they've been at the past two weeks, 6.3 yards per attempt today, which was, a big upgrade over recent weeks in the passing game actually you still want to get over that 7.0 mark though for, for kind of a healthy offense some people say now it's a 7.5 with the rule changes. you want to get over 7.5 yards per attempt but I mean this is not functional in my mind we I don't know if we can get to the point where we can accept this as a functional passing game just because it looked a little better this week and so at some point I, I do think he should be held accountable but again Just from the broadcast, we have a very similar take, Nick. I thought he showed good signs of improvement navigating the pocket, but ball placement issues to me were there again. Um, And obviously, you know, there weren't any shots down the field, so it's hard to gauge without seeing the All-22 if he had any opportunities or if this is kind of how it was called, what was available to him. But I thought the ball placement on the throws he was asked to make, and a lot of those were, you know, easier throws underneath, was not great, to be completely honest with you. There were some some throws that were really off in this game, in my mind, uh, from a ball placement standpoint, especially with what he was asked to do my mind. So worse on ball placement, I guess I would say, but better on the pocket manipulation.
1: It's good. At least that he's manipulating the pocket a little bit better. And I feel like he was able to stand in there and deliver passes uh, at a a high rate, to be honest, to, to keep the chains moving. And it wasn't like it happened, I would say all that often, but I did see it on a couple different occasions, but to circle back a little bit to the defense, man, we talked about the turnovers, but they were also getting pressure on Jalen Hurts in third down situations and then that also we saw I wanted to bring up this name to you we saw a decent amount of Aaron Robinson in this game and it looked it looked pretty legit now would we be saying that if Jalen Rager came down with that touchdown that he should have came down with maybe not but that fourth and two play where he got his hands right next to the catch point to to force an incompletion and there were a couple other plays where Aaron Robinson was near the catch point and just kind of sticky in man coverage that's uh That's I I would say a step in the right direction just because we've seen, we haven't seen a lot of these younger guys make a huge impact where Darius Williams ended up getting injured. Ellerson Smith and Aaron Robinson were out for most of the year. You saw Zizo Jolari and Kadarius Toney just dominating when they're on the field, but now we're starting to see a little bit more Aaron Robinson starting to see Patrick Ram trust him. What was your takeaways uh, on uh, Aaron Robinson in this game?
2: Yeah, really good to see Robinson out there. You saw him kind of. Uh, play a little for Holmes after they tried Holmes out. Obviously, Holmes is not the, the guy you want on the outside. Adoree Jackson injured. That one is one we hope won't be a long-term ser- uh, serious one for the Giants because he, in my mind, in your mind, I think we talked about this last week, has arguably been their best defensive player this season. That's uh, Adoree Jackson. But it was good to see Robinson out there playing a bigger role and looking okay in that role. Like In general, I think the Giants had a really good game plan against Hurts, personally which kind of played into it really good job today by Graham. To me, this was the best defensive performance the giants have had in the Patrick Graham era. I'll stand by that. Just, I mean, given the fact that their offense had 264 yards of offense, I mean, we talked about, you know, there were a couple fun third downs for the giants where I thought, you know, okay, kitchens did something a little different than Garrett did to convert on third down, but the bottom brass tax of it is the giants went three of 12 on third down. That's obviously not good at all. And so they were really actually bad on third down and 264 yards of total offense in general. So, Defense was asked to do everything in this game, literally everything in my mind. And Robinson played a big role in helping them do that in the whole game plan, really. So, yeah, I like to see Robinson out there. It's good to see more talent on that defense. But I would talk about the main star to me on this defense, and I want to talk to you about him. It's Xavier McKinney, man, because he's starting to show signs of just elite-level instincts in this in that deep half role, elite-level ability to break on the ball, elite-level ability to navigate the right angles to make plays on the ball he had an interception he almost had a second interception in the game late in the game that would have sealed the game where you were really like his first interception was awesome he covered a lot of ground we kind of saw a similar interception earlier this season against the raiders but the second inter- or i'm sorry the almost interception the second play that was like the angle he took and the ground he covered to break on that ball that was like Earl Thomas level to me. Like that was like a glimpse of Earl Thomas on that play. I got, I got to be honest with you, man. So I'm feeling really good about McKinney coming out of this game.
1: Oh, same here, man. He plays the center field role and cover one middle of the field close so well. And Jalen hurts on the interception. It was a first and 18 and it looked like hurts was just eyeing down. Uh, I think it was Jalen Rager who he was throwing the football to against Aaron Robinson, targeting the rookie. It makes sense, and McKinney just knew it right off the bat. I can't wait to see the All-22 on that because, you know, watching yeah. on the broadcast, you can't necessarily see exactly what was going down, but I can just picture what Xavier McKinney was doing to put himself in a position, and this is not the first time. It's not going to be the last time we're going to see Xavier McKinney put himself into these types of positions, and this is going to – this is going to challenge opposing offenses to throw deep on the New York Giants when – you line up middle of the field close, you have one center field safety and you have a receiver who can win off the line of scrimmage against a guy like Aaron Robinson. It's going to challenge them to throw deep because that's what you want to do. You have your one-on-one matchup, just try to look the safety off. Well, if that safety is Avery McKinney and he's starting to develop more and more every week mentally, he's not going to be as easy to be looked off. Right? So a lot of play or a lot of quarterbacks might step back in the pocket and say, Hey, I got this one-on-one matchup. Let me just look him off and then throw McKinney might not bite on that. And you lob up a pass like that. You have your cornerback beat a little bit. Xavier McKinney might be able to bait a couple interceptions. Like I think we saw on this play, but again, I want to see the all 22 to actually confirm that, but it looks like Jalen Hurts thought he had the one-on-one and that he could get the football there before Xavier McKinney was able to use his range to get into position, but that just did not happen. And I am hoping that we have this true center field safety who can just cover so much ground with excellent range and just kind of, Hey, we're in middle of the field closed, but best of luck throwing deep against us. If you don't do a good enough job to remove that middle of the field, close safety from your actual destination where you want to throw the football, because he's that good and that quick covering. That's what I hope he can develop into.
2: And that's what's so exciting for me. It's just the, it's purely the X's and O's, the schematics, you know, side of this. When you have that middle field close safety and you can rely on him to cover that kind of ground and to take away and to be, you know, a safety valve in, 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 deep, in deep half situations, but not only a safety valve, not only something you can trust to the point where you don't have to play too high, but also the point where he will make plays on the ball. And then, you know, in this spot, it's like Jalen hurts is not an attempt that pass where he threw in the interception in my mind if the giants are in a too high look. He's just not going to attempt that because they're in that look. He thinks he can have that throw. He thinks he can look it off. He thinks he's going to make that throw. And with McKinney out there, he can't make that throw. And that's the second time a quarterback has tried to make that throw against the defensive look the Giants showed and was unable to do it from Carr to Hurts. And Carr's actually a good throw over the football. And so what that gives you is one extra guy you can use in the box or to double team a receiver. Or whatever you want to do with that extra player from a schematic standpoint, it's such a huge advantage to have that deep half safety. And that's why I've been, you know, I called it a unicorn a while ago. We've been talking about this role for so long. And I was like, you know, when you find those guys, they're unicorn players because there's so few guys like I'm not going to say McKinney's there yet. I'm with you. I still want to see a larger sample size of it. But like Earl Thomas, Kenny Phillips is of the world. Kenny Phillips for the injury. There's so few of those safeties. I think Winfield's like that a lot for Tampa. He made a sick play on the ball yeah. against Wentz today. Sick play on the ball. Um, similar kind of you know, awesome break on the ball. But like those true deep half guys are just so invaluable. They're they're unbelievably valuable to your roster. And so to me, this was this is probably the, be- the biggest takeaway for me. I wanted to touch on something you mentioned, though, Nick. You said, and you were right, the Giants did a good job of getting pressure on some key third downs on Hurts. Why do you think that was today versus other weeks? Like, for example, like this Eagles line has been playing pretty damn good football. I know they've been a little bit better run blocking and pass blocking, but they've still been pretty solid pass blocking coming into this game. And the Giants have struggled against good pass
1: blocking teams to get pressure. Today, the Giants were able to get pressure. Why do you think that was? On some of those situations, the Giants brought five. There was the one third and 10. I think they brought Aaron Robinson and might've been Julian Love on like a defensive back blitz. It was well-disguised. It was well-timed. And then they stunted, I think, Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence, but I'm not 100% sure if it it might've been Austin Johnson. But anyways, and that forced Jalen Hurts kind of off his spot. He tried to keep his eyes downfield and then they ended up. I believe, forcing him to just kind of throw it into the dirt, essentially. And then they ended up getting a sack on him in the fourth quarter by bringing a well-timed Julian Love blitz that just kind of messed with the protections enough to allow, I think, Aziz Ojolari and uh, Leonard Williams to just get enough pressure where Hurts kind of flowed into the middle of the pocket and ended up just getting basically sacked there. And then there was another third and 11 earlier in the game in the first quarter. It might have been the first drive of the Philadelphia Eagles where they actually dropped eight in the coverage and Jalen Hurts saw an open rushing lane in the B gap, but Aziz Ojalari and Leonard Williams, they were playing contain and they knew that he was probably going to do that. So they just constricted the crap out of the gap and then just forced Jalen Hurts to try to skip around them. And by that point, because it was a little bit slowed and a little bit delayed, the linebackers rallied to basically tackle Jalen Hurts for like a one-yard gain. So he thought like, hey, the seas are parting. I could probably pick up 10, 11 yards like I've been doing against the Lions and like I've been doing against the Saints and all these other teams. But the Giants weren't allowing him to do that because they are aware this guy is incredibly athletic and will make you pay with his rushing ability. Now let's make him beat us with his arm, which is something that I don't feel Jalen Hurts can consistently do in the NFL.
2: And he certainly couldn't do it today. The Eagles averaged 4.2 yards per pass attempt in this one, which I mean, the giants had done that in recent weeks and they won one game doing that, but you can't win consistently at the NFL level, averaging 4.2 yards, 129 total passing yards from Hertz, you know, fewer than 50% completion rate, three interceptions, one sack, 17.5 pass rating. It was as dominant of a pass defensive performance as you'll see before we move on to the schedule. Cause I want to talk about that a little bit with you and their upcoming matchup because I did see something interesting with the Dolphins today. I want to get your take on. I do want to talk a little bit about this offensive line, man, because I continue to see, and I've seen it on tape, man. And so have you. We talk about it every week, but I also see it on the broadcast. I see some really bad plays weekly by Nate Solder. And I'm getting to the point, man, where I just don't even understand why you would play Solder over Parrott at this point. And I don't like it, man. I really don't like it. There was a run play that Solder completely blew. And I know at at worst, Parrott can do better in the run game. I'm not honest. I don't really. I'm starting to really lose faith in in their in the staff a little bit in some ways for playing solder over parrot at this point. And I, it's less so that I don't care about that. Whatever the, the coaches know more than us. They're at practice every day. But I, uh, I just gotta see parrot at there at this point. I, I, I don't know, man. I'm losing. I don't. I don't like it. I can't stand to see solder out there. It's it's a it's an emotional thing at this point. That's what it's tapping into at this point for me, Nick.
1: Yeah, he's not a uh, consistent. He's not effective. He's not great. I don't think he's terrible as a run blocker, but he just lets people into his chest and he gets bench pressed off of them way too often. We see it. I don't even know how many times a game on the all 22. I don't really have an answer as to why it's happening. We've speculated uh, as to why in, in several podcasts recently. And I guess I'll just I don't want to reiterate that because it's just basically they they trust him more than Matt Pair and he's the professional and they want that veteran presence on the line. I don't know how much that is going to be worth if the guy is consistently getting beat. I guess they do not view the gap between Matt Pair and Nate Solder as, as as wide as the fans do, to be honest. And like we've said, and we want to be you know clear and objective here, it's not like Matt Pair is necessarily important. Overly impressed us when he has been out there, but it just hasn't been as as poor as consistently poor as I think Nate Solder. I think that's fair. I think that's the
2: best way to describe it. Yeah, I think that's it. Like it just hasn't been as consistently poor as Nate Solder. And when you add in the fact that you kind of want to see. What the hell this guy's all about before we head into the offseason, right? Like this is yeah. a second year guy you invested a top hundred pick on, and you literally went into last offseason saying we're not going to make a single investment at offense tackle. The Giants didn't make a single investment at the offense tackle position in free agency or the draft last year. In large part, we thought because of Parrot, because Parrot was ready on the roster. So then we kind of need to see it. We need to see him play out there. We need to see him get a lot more reps so we have a larger sample size to evaluate this offseason as we head into free agency in the draft and we try to figure out what the hell the Giants are going to do about this tackle position because we know they can't win next year with Solder starting again. We know that. Like, you don't win a Super Bowl when Nate Solder is your tackle. My opinion. I think if you put Nate Solder on the Packers right now and you told the Packers, you have to start this guy the rest of the season. I think they're all out of the running for the Super Bowl in a lot of ways. Like, I don't think Nate Soldier can be the starting tackle on a Super Bowl winning roster. I stand by that statement. And I'm not saying Matt Parrott can be, but at least let's see if he can improve. Like, there's still less bad on Parrott's tape. That's not like a ringing endorsement, like you said, Nick. But, man, as we head into this Miami game, and Miami's coming off two good wins.
1: Jalen Phillips had three sacks today.
2: Phillips had three sacks. They Miami pressure camp 23 times. They're starting to send blitzes. They're starting to send pressure. What have we said has killed Jones his entire career. And of late teams that decide to blitz him. Jones is not a good quarterback against the blitz right now. It's the brass facts. We have to unfortunately admit that because the stats show it. And. If Miami's going to have a similar game plan like they had against the Jets and like they had against Carolina these last two weeks, sending a lot of pressure with Jalen Phillips, obviously starting to play really good football. I would like to see Parrott out there and not watch another example of Nate Solder getting destroyed in pass protection. And so we'll see what happens going into this week, but it's going to be an interesting game for the Giants offense because Miami is going to pressure the hell out of them. And we'll have to see what the Giants can do to stop that. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the Giants' schedule now. Before,
1: because- we, get into this, before yeah. we get into this schedule, Dan, I, I think it's wild. It's just like we, we talked about how this win was somewhat lucky, and we don't want to devalue the win or anything like that. But when you look at this, man, the Giants were up 13-7, to seven, right? And in the final two minutes, the Eagles legit were driving down the field. They force a fumble. Julian Love jumps on that after Dexter Lawrence forces the fumble. And then they go three and out the New York Giants offense, giving the, the Eagles another opportunity to drive down the field in which they do where Jalen hurts puts a pass right into Jalen Rager's hands for a touchdown that he drops. Like that's a lot of lucky breaks right there. The Giants ended up getting to, to secure this victory. If we're going to kind of call a spade a spade.
2: I mean, you're right, Nick. I mean, and we, we, we're not going to say it now because the Giants won the game. But this was very similar at the end of the game to what they did against Washington to lose the game by just completely sitting on the football and punting it back, not at all trying to get a first down, just like they did against Washington in the game they lost. And one thing I said that podcast, and I stand by it, is that it's I'm about the process. I'm not about the results. It may work here or there, but over time, it's not going to work. And I'll stand by the other thing I said. I didn't like when they took. I'll, I'll say this, Nick. It was okay early, and we have a great kicker. It's fine. But in these cold weather games, man. 50 plus field goals are no longer a lock and when you miss a 50 plus field goal you give the opponent the football at your at their at their own 40 yard line on a short field so there is added risk to missing these field goals and i'm just I just don't like the president sets when you're fourth and three in opponent's territory and you bring on the field goal unit. I think you should be going for first downs. I think you would be going for touchdowns, man. And I stand by that. I didn't think this was a good game by judge at all. In my opinion, he sat on the ball at the end and he kicked that field goal in cold weather, which I didn't like. Instead of going for the fourth and three, I'll stand by that. Those are only two decisions I saw him make all game. So it's not like I have anything on the flip side to judge it off of. No pun intended, but I mean, you made a point, man, like they sat on the ball again at the end. They, they they gave the Eagles a chance that they didn't need to give them after that Scott fumble. Like if you get one first down, the game's over. All the Giants need to do is get one first down. At least try to get a first down, right? At least try to win the game on your own instead of kind of punting it back and saying, let's not lose the game. And like you said, man, they almost lost the game, even though they gave the ball back with only 50 seconds and no timeouts. Jalen Rager dropped a pass. Like let's the ball went right into his hands at the goal line. Let's call a spade a spade. Fortunately for the Giants, this time it bounced their way. We're going to hope they're going to have a lot more bounces their way coming the rest of the season because as of right now, they're a team that needs to win this way. need to win by dominating the turnover battle and having lucky breaks because that's just all they've shown us to this point. And it's worked so far against the Raiders. It's worked so far against the Eagles. It's worked – I don't want to say it worked against the Panthers. The Panthers was kind of a dominant defensive performance, and the Giants generated a little bit of offense in that game. But, you know, now we head into the Dolphins in Miami. Then it's the Chargers. In, in LA and the Chargers haven't been playing as good football as of late. Then it's the Cowboys, then Eagles, Bears, Washington, to end the season. There's, you know, that's six games. The Giants could win three or four of these games in my mind. If they play great football, they win the turnover battle and they get some lucky breaks. And let's say they win four games, right? And get to eight. And I guess it would be eight and nine at that point.
1: That could be the wild in the NFC this year. That could be the wild card spot. It honestly could be. And I think a lot of it's going to be telling against Miami because Miami Nobody's talking about it right now. They're one of the hottest teams in football, and they started the season what like one in seven or something. And then they played the Texans, they're like ah oh, yeah, we'll beat the Texans. And then they're like oh well, they're going to get sacrificed to the Ravens on Thursday Night Football. They end up beating the Ravens like twenty two to ten or something like that. And then they beat the Jets because they're the Jets, and now they just I don't want to say upset the Panthers, but they defeated the Panthers. And now they get another very winnable game at home against the New York Giants. So this is one of the hottest teams in football right now. Their defense is playing. Very, very good. They are a heavy man coverage team. The Giants are going to have to have a lot of man beaters in there. offense. they're going to have to expect the blitz, man. They're going to have to have a lot of contingencies in place just in case they bring the pressure on Daniel Jones. It's going to be a telling game for the New York Giants, a telling game for Freddie Kitchens to see how he adjusts to what the Miami Dolphins are doing. And if he has play calls, that will kind of take the pressure off of Daniel Jones. That's what I'm going to be really looking forward to against Miami. But I do believe the Giants have quite – a few winnable games here. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if they won any of these games, to be honest, I wouldn't even yeah. be shocked if they upset Dallas the way Same. they're playing right now.
2: Same. I completely agree. With I think every game on the Giants schedule going forward, they could win or lose. Like literally we'll go into every single game as a, t- not a toss up fully 50, 50 or anything, but there's like a game they could win or lose. It's not like any, it's not like, you know, the Bucks. a game they legitimately had no chance to win. They, they could play that game 10 times. They're not beating the Bucks in any of those games. But none of those games remaining on the schedule that way. And it's interesting you said something about this coming up matchup. And we'll, and we'll leave it after this. But heavy man team, right? Heavy blitz team. I remember listening to Greg Cosell after the Giants rookie, uh, Daniel Jones' rookie season and saying Daniel Jones impressed him most with how he could beat man coverage. He was bad against zone, but he could beat you in man coverage. This is a game where they'll be susceptible in man coverage in some ways. Like Show us again that you can beat teams who play heavy man and blitz you, Jones. Show us. Show us. I know there's all the excuses. Blah, 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 blah. No, the offensive line wasn't that good in 2019. And you know what? A quarterback's expected to win sometimes without the offensive line in my mind. Like last year, the Ra- the Chargers didn't have a good offensive line. Herbert won. And he didn't win all the time, but he won sometimes. Jones hasn't won really at all in the passing game this year with the exception of the Saints game. We need more than one out of every 12 games you win in the pass game. If you have a bad O-line, it should be more like three, four, five, six times maybe out of 12. You can generate something in the past game. And against a man-heavy team like the Dolphins, this should be a good matchup for Jones. The 2019 version of Jones, this was a good matchup for him in my mind. And so I want to see something. This is a big game for Jones for me in this game. And I've been saying that a lot lately. But to me, Jones has been trending down ever since that uh, Saints game this season. And still the guy we're going to probably look forward to having in 2022. I don't really want to dump a pick on like a Kenny Pickett type. It's just not the type of guy I would, I, at that point, it's too much. It's, you know, you're not, I don't see it with Kenny Pickett really. And I'll have to, I, I can't really say that fully. I haven't watched too much of his film, but I just don't get too inspired by any of the quarterbacks in this coming class. But, you know, I'm, I need to see something from Jones and it has to start this week. Like they have to start generating a passing game. I'm kind of tiring of the excuses. And I know we talked about this already, but I feel like you're at the same point right now with the passing game in the giants.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You need to show results, man. As we always say on this podcast, this is a results-oriented business, and you need you need to step up to the plate sometimes. I, and this Miami game is going to be tough, man. It is, because playing in Miami is always very, very difficult in this defense. As we said, they're, they're really coming together right now. But I wouldn't be shocked if the Giants defense really plays hard against Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah. Jalen Waddle, who had an excellent game today. So I think it's going to be an interesting affair. I don't think it's going to be easy whatsoever. I mean, Miami is a much different team right now than they were five weeks ago.
2: For sure. And obviously today we'll wrap up there. Great win by the defense. Great win by the Giants. Obviously a few good plays on offense, few good drives. Overall, good team win. I mean, look, when you beat the Eagles, who are coming into this game on a two-game win streak, Anytime you beat the Eagles, it's a good win. The defense played phenomenal today. In my opinion, the best performance we've seen. And look, now we're looking at a defense where over their last five games, the Giants defense, they're only allowing 15.2 points per game with 12 turnovers. The Giants defense in five games. That's crazy. I mean, some and this came two, two of these games came against Brady and Mahomes like. It's not like they're just playing the worst quarterbacks like they were last year, where they played that slew of backups. So kudos to the Giants defense. They've been dominant these last five games, and they haven't done it, and they've done it despite getting literally next to nothing from their offense as far as time of possession, as far as scoring points to give them. You know, if if, if you're a defense and your offense is scoring points, it's a lot easier when you go out there up 14 points because your team's putting up a lot of touchdowns. You can pin your ears back. You can rush the passer things get a lot easier. They're doing it without any of that. They're doing it with constantly being asked to come back onto the field after after quick punts from their, you know, from the from the Giants offense. So, kudos to the Giants defense. This was culmination of a dominant five-game stretch.
1: Yes, you'd love to see it. you definitely love to see it, and uh, hopefully they can continue doing it because they have some matchups I feel like the defense could definitely take advantage of, but now settle it on the gridiron, man. Settle it between those white lines, bro. Let's see if the Giants can make a playoff push, which is, just seems unfathomable to me right now. But, hey, it is what it is. It's possible in the NFC. All right, thank you to everybody tuning
2: in. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.